23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we thank you for these words. Thank you for the inspiration of Christ on the, on the heart of David. We thank you, Lord, for 3,000 years of this song, this wonderful poetic verse being sung by your people. We thank you for the encouragement, Lord, it is and has been and will be for so many. And as with all of your word, Father, we are touched by your spirit as you speak through the pages. This word that is truly living and active, life-changing. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we simply would hear your voice, Jesus, speaking to us that we would recognize the voice of our shepherd and we would simply follow. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't know about y'all, but he's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. It's so personal. It's so wonderful. It's such a marvelous psalm. So familiar to so many people. The Lord is my shepherd. But, but if He's my shepherd, that means I'm His sheep. Many years ago, a, a guy told me he didn't like the fact that we called our elders shepherds. There are three words for leaders in a church fellowship. Three words. There's elder, there's bishop, and there's shepherd. So we went with shepherd. And he didn't like that. He said, I, that bugs me. And I said, why does that bug you? He said, because it means that I'm a sheep. I said, yeah, what's your point? <laughs> We're all sheep. We are all sheep. Not that you have to read the 23rd Psalm sheepishly. No one's going to pull the wool over your eyes today. No one here is going to fleece you. So, uh, But to know the shepherd, we have to realize that we are sheep. And you especially need to know that if you've been on the lamb from the Lord. Okay, that's enough. I don't want to ram any more of this down your throats. But to know the shepherd... <laughs> To know the shepherd, we've got to know we're sheep. And here's the thing. In understanding our position before the Lord as His sheep, while sheep appear peaceful and calm and serene and pastoral, in reality, sheep is dumb. Sheep is just dumb. They're the dumbest creatures out there. If you don't believe me, watch them. Watch how they behave. Look at what they do. They're just dumb. And we think of ourselves as so learned and so intelligent and so intellectual. And we can be awfully dumb. No offense intended. But it's remarkable how arrogant humanity is. That we think because we stand on the world stage in 2019 that we're smarter than anyone who's come before us. Listen, I got 54 years of smarts. That's it. In the vast scheme of history, I got 54 years. I can beg and borrow and steal off of others who have come before me, but I'm not that smart. Think about how intelligent someone like Adam must have been after 900 years of living. Or Methuselah. Or some of these that lived long amounts of time and had time to really process and develop wisdom and intelligence and understand the world and what was going on. And we average what? 70, 80, 90 years tops? 
And we think we're so smart. We dumb. And if that offends you, listen, it's only your human pride. And pride will get you killed in this world. In these fields, Amos chapter 3, verse 12, thus says the Lord, just as the shepherd snatches from the lion's mouth a couple of legs or a piece of an ear, so the sons of Israel dwelling in Samaria will be snatched away. That is, the sons of Israel living the world's way would be like little bits of sheep left over or snatched out of the mouth of a lion. And that's trying to live in this world thinking we've got an intelligence that we don't. Thinking as sheep we can make it on our own without a shepherd. And it doesn't work. Ten times in the Psalms, Israel, the people are called sheep. And Isaiah the prophet most pointedly said in Isaiah 53 verse 6, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And by the way, if you got a problem being called a sheep, you're going to have to take it up with Jesus. Who said, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen to give you the kingdom. Luke 12, 32. Jesus, who said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So if you don't want to be sheep, you're kind of out of that scenario. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He's not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own. And my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. He's the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's the good shepherd. The good shepherd who who cried out in Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the voice of the good shepherd. Or in Psalm 22, verse 16, Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Or verse 18 of Psalm 22, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Oh, that's the good shepherd. But he's also the chief shepherd. See, the chief shepherd who shows up in Psalm 24... Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. That's the chief shepherd. Where do you get that? Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4 says, When the chief shepherd appears, then you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears, that is, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors. I point this out to you that you know right now that Psalm 22, 23, and 24 are a trilogy. And Psalm 22 is the psalm of the good shepherd. Psalm 24 is the psalm of the chief shepherd. But right in the middle, the Lord is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. Psalm of the Good Shepherd speaks of what he did. The Psalm of the Chief Shepherd speaks of what he will do. But the Psalm of my shepherd speaks of right now. Of Jesus in this age. Of him shepherding you, shepherding me. If in fact we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. Can you say that? The second time Cheryl traveled to Ghana, she arrived at Beacon House Orphanage. She met up with the three children who have now been our children for the last decade. And she recounted to me by phone at that time a really funny incident that she was sitting in the dining area with Naomi. Little Naomi was three years old, with puffy cheeks. 
And she was sitting in Cheryl's lap and they were reading a book together. And Cheryl said, every time another child from the orphanage wandered in just out of curiosity to see what was going on, Naomi said, no, go. It's my mom. She my mom. She my mom. <laughs> you say that about your shepherd. Go away. He's my shepherd. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. But he's my shepherd. One of the reasons the 23rd Psalm is so touching and so intimate is you can't read it without engaging in the thought. The Lord is my shepherd, not someone else's shepherd, not a shepherd for that flock over there. He's my shepherd and he shepherds me. We're looking at Savior Psalms here. Savior Psalms for the summer. And while Jesus saves many, He's my Savior. While He shepherds other flocks, He's my shepherd. The psalm begins with a heading, a psalm of David. A psalm of David, or Mitzmor le David. Mitzmor le David, psalm of David. So we know David wrote it, we just don't know when. And different scholars and commentators over the years have come up with different times that David may have written the 23rd Psalm. Was it when he was a shepherd boy? Boy, that makes sense, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Wow, that, that sounds like the Psalm of a shepherd. So perhaps David wrote it as a shepherd boy. Others think, no, no. He must have wrote it when he was a stone slinger. A stone slinger, you know, in the Valley of Elah, when he threw that stone and embedded itself in Goliath's head, he takes down the G-man. That had to be when David wrote the psalm in the Valley of Elah, because verse 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, well, David faced death in the valley. Maybe it was when he was a sinner restored. You know, the whole Bathsheba incident. And after the fact, David, broken before the Lord, comes to the Lord. Psalm 51 begins to express himself, saying, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. And in the psalm we read, verse 3, He restores my soul. Perhaps it was at that time. Maybe when he was a stressed out fugitive. Do you know the story? It's a remarkable story that in 2 Samuel 17, we see his son Absalom begin this uprising, this mutiny against the rule and reign of his own father, David. And David actually flees Jerusalem. With all of his people, they're, they're getting out. They're rushing away. And it's so interesting to me that at that time, 2 Samuel 17, verse 27, says, When David had come to Mahanaim, Shobi the son of Nahash, Machir the son of Amiel, and Barzillai the Gileadite brought beds, basins, pottery, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, lentils, parched seeds, honey, curds, sheep, and cheese of the herd for David and for the people who were with him to eat. Well, how, how does that relate to the psalm? Well, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, he says. Which is exactly what happened to David at that time. And Shobi, the son of Nahash, Well, Nahash was the king of Ammon, an enemy of Israel. So even in the presence of his enemies, a table was prepared. Maybe that's when David wrote the psalm. Some suggest. A shepherd boy? Stone slinger? Sinner restored? Stressed out? Fugitive? David was all of these. And so many think that he wrote Psalm 23 as a seasoned sovereign. That this came late in life. One who knew what it meant for goodness and loving kindness to follow me all the days of my life. One who had the seasoning to look back over the years and realize that God's grace and goodness had followed him all the way. 
And it really makes sense to consider the 23rd Psalm among David's last, written late in life, because look how he ends. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When did he write it? We don't know. And we don't know because the 23rd Psalm touches every season of life, from young to old. And anyone, any age, can know, can say, can declare, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't know, there are plenty of things I still want. (laughs) I shall not want. I got to stop wanting. What is he saying here? Literally, I will lack for nothing. The Lord's my shepherd. I I will lack for nothing. Now, some will hear that and they'll argue back. Well, I have lacked. I've had seasons of great poverty. I've had times when I wasn't sure where the next meal would come from. I've known want. So how can I say the Lord is my shepherd? I shall not want. And I would say, you didn't know want when the Lord was your shepherd. Some might find that offensive. How dare you? I'm just saying. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And if he's your shepherd, you won't. You may get tight. You may have times where you don't have all the things that you think you want. But Psalm 84, 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. Listen, no good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And that's a key. No good thing. So walk uprightly. Not all bent over like an ape. (laughs) Walk uprightly. After the pattern of God, following Jesus, trusting in Him, regardless of any circumstance, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, He says, and all these things will be added to you as well. Some say, well, are you saying that my tight checkbook means I lack faith? Maybe. I don't know your heart. Jesus does. You do. And if things are tight, maybe faith is the issue. Maybe faith is a problem. And I'm not a prosperity gospel guy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying great faith and you'll have all kinds of money to spend. Maybe your money woes, if you're having them, are because He has you right where He wants you. And I've experienced this many times in my life where I wasn't sure where it was going to come from, where I was worried about money in days past, the times where I was stressed out about it, and God had me right where He wanted me. Because at the end of the day, I had to decide, do I trust Him or not? Do I believe Him and take Him at His word or not? And that's the question. Maybe, maybe He's developing in our times of difficulty in our times of uncertainty financially, maybe he's developing one of the three greatest goods in you. Faith, or hope, or love that he knows cannot be developed any other way but for things to get tight. The question remains, do you trust your shepherd to get you to the right field at the right time for the right purpose? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. By the way, there's a condition for people who can say that. I shall not want. It's the condition of contentment. Being content in whatever circumstance of life. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Paul says godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Show me a godly person, I will show you someone who's content. Show me someone who's discontent and I will show you someone who at minimum is toying with ungodliness. Because contentment reveals a godly spirit. By the way, as long as we're on this, there's also a direct ratio between how much a person gives and how much they trust the shepherd. Your giving will reflect your faith. It's just true. That may offend some people. I understand that. They would say, how dare you put a price tag on my faith? I didn't. Jesus did. I'm not the one who connected it. He did. Matthew 6.24, he said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Well, I can. No, you can't. I'm the one person in the history of the world who can serve both God and wealth. 
Sheep is dumb. <laughs> Do you believe Jesus when he says, Matthew 6, 31... Do not worry then saying, what, we will, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? The Gentiles eagerly seek after these things, for your Heavenly Father knows that you need these things. He hasn't forgotten what your needs are. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And again, I say, sheep is dumb. They have to be made to lie down in green pastures. They're not going to do it on their own. They're going to wander off into the rocky crags and get stuck on the mountain. They're, they're going to have... Do you realize that, that sheep sometimes have to actually be barricaded into a good field to stay there to eat? Because they'll wander off somewhere else where there's no food. They just get themselves in these bad situations. You knew it was coming. They wander off. They get attacked. They get lost. They get stuck somewhere. Okay, so on the Gilmore's property, which is right on the other side of the fence of ours, we heard last night, it's in the evening time, we're hearing this... Really tiny little... And we discovered that Rod and Barb's sheep have now had little lambs. Oh, they're adorable. There are like four or five of them running around. It's a funny story, actually, because they introduced a ram to the flock. And nothing happened for a while. And then all of a sudden, one lamb was born. And a week later, there were four more. So he figured it out. That's good to know. But... So we're hearing this little lamb cry out, bah, bah, bah. So Cheryl called Barb. Hey, are, is the little lamb okay? Barb said, oh, I'm sure it's fine. It's just out there calling for its mother. About an hour later, we get a text from Barb. We went out to check on the lamb. It, its head was stuck in a tree. <laughs> sheep is dumb. And this is what sheep do. They have to be made to lie down in green pastures. They have to be led beside quiet waters. And note this, the King James translation is poor on this one. It says, he leads me beside still waters. That's a bad idea. You don't want to drink still waters. Unless, you know, you like Giardia or parasites or diarrhea, then feel free to drink still water. But the word translated here is not still. Quiet is a little closer, but the best translation of the word, note this in your Bibles, He leads me beside restful waters. Restful. And the word waters is mayim in the Hebrew. It's the plural form indicating moving, flowing, cascading waters. If you're out hiking and you have to get something to drink and you don't have the little water purification pills or something else, you can drink. If you have to, your least risk is going to be drinking from flowing water. You know, this cascading over rocks. That's where we're led by the shepherd, my shepherd. He leads me beside restful, flowing waters. My shepherd who said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, Jesus said, as the Scriptures say, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. John seven thirty-seven and 38. Living water. Speaking of his Spirit who brings us rest and refreshment, And restoration, restoration, verse 3, He restores my soul. That's so powerful to me as a follower of Jesus Christ. For even though I know my spirit has been secured for salvation, my soul needs restoration. It's really interesting to me how God tags me with stuff. I've taught the 23rd Psalm before. This time around, it's verse 3a that's really got me. And Les didn't know this. Les comes up to me, we're in the back during worship, and he kind of leans over and he says, test this. I believe the Lord is saying, I'm going to restore Rick's soul during the teaching. Which is great, because I'm able to get up here and think, I don't care what you get out of this, I'm getting restored. (laughs) 
So thanks for coming, but this morning's all about me. <laughs> Les didn't know this. I woke up at about, well, let's see, one, three, and four this morning. And each time, kind of woke up and paused, and there's a lot on my mind. There's a lot going on in my life. And each time, just kind of stopped. You know, I knew I was waking up. Because there's so much going on. And each time, one o'clock in the morning, I just prayed, Lord, Lord, and I just began to pray and, and drifted back off to sleep. I love falling to sleep talking to my dad, you know. And then around, let's say one, three, and four, something like that. And then the second time I woke up and it was the same thing. I'm like, and, and I woke up because all these thoughts come rushing in. And I began to pray, you know, Lord, and I fell back asleep. Well, the last time I woke up this morning, I was a little stressed and I just went, Lord, before I even pray about anybody else, can you do something about this? Because <laughs> sheep is dumb and I'm just spinning thoughts around in my head. Can you, can you do something about this? And I heard the psalm, He restores my soul. See, my soul is the mind. And we've talked about this, right? It's the seat of intellect in our lives. It's where the thought life goes on. It's literally the field of the thoughts. That's the soul. And no matter how spiritual we may be, we still need from time to time the soul to be restored. Soul restoration for a follower of Jesus is an ongoing process. See, the Bible calls that sanctification. We have salvation through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, but we still need to be sanctified. And He he does this. He restores the soul. He washes the mind. Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We renew things all the time. You know, my automobile insurance has to be renewed on an annual basis. Other things that we, that we use, things that we call insurance, as if they really insure us. You know, you get into a car accident. I thought I was insured. If I was really insured, I never would have had an accident. But I need it renewed. And so we keep up with these things, and we, and we renew these things, and we think our minds don't need that? Someone asked, why, why do we do this Sunday, Wednesday Bible study in the Word altogether? Why do we just keep... What, what is that? What's that really about? Why do I really need that? I'll tell you one reason you need that. To have your mind renewed on an ongoing basis. And again, I don't know about any of you. I know for me, it works continually. That as the world creeps in and the mind begins to spin out scenarios and you start to worry or stress or fret, you come before the Lord and you begin to hear His Word. And you get refreshed and restored. He restores your soul. It's a beautiful thing. How does it work? Well, verse 3 continues. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. That's how He restores my soul. He guides me into righteous paths, into good places. He restores my soul, indication is, by His Word. He speaks His Word. He lays His Word before me. And I am restored. Ephesians 5.25 says, Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. The Word has that restoring effect on the soul. In 1777, the most read book in America was the Bible. I didn't check to see what it is today. I'm hoping it's not Outlander. The Bible was number one in 1777. You know what was number two? The New England Primer. This was the standard school text for every child in public schools in America, 1777. Let me give you a couple of lessons out of the New England Primer. I think we can go back and learn something here. Here's lesson number one. Pray to God. Public schools. I don't know what they were thinking. (laughs) Clearly they recognize on a daily basis they needed to have their souls restored. Pray to God. Call no ill names. Love God. Use no ill words. Fear God. Tell no lies. Serve God. Hate lies. Take not God's name in vain. Speak the truth. Spend your time well. 
do not swear. Love your school, do not steal. Mind your book, capitalized. Cheat not in your play. Strive to learn. Play not with bad boys. (laughs) And my favorite one, be not a dunce. (laughs) Because sheep is dumb. (laughs) And then a second lesson, taken through the alphabet. To learn the alphabet, this is how the New England primer taught the alphabet to children. A, in Adam's fall, we send all. B, heaven to find the Bible in mind. C, Christ crucified for sinners died. D, the deluge drowned the earth around. And then it goes all the way through the alphabet, ending up in with Z, Zacchaeus, he did climb the tree, our Lord to see. Marvelous. By the way, you can pick up a New England primer online. I think you can get one on Amazon. So parents, if you want to start teaching that to your kids, not a bad idea. Now, some would say with that in the public schools, and it got fought against, and ultimately taken out, along with prayer, along with the Bible, along with anything having to do with God or Jesus or the word of truth or having souls restored, it was all ripped out of there because people began to say, well, hey, wait a minute, you're teaching this in the public school. What about atheist kids? First of all, there's no such thing. Kids believe. They have to be taught not to believe. What about Muslim kids, though? What about pagan kids? I mean, doesn't this disenfranchise or exclude them? And the answer is, in truth, it sought to include every child in knowing the only shepherd who could lead them without want. The shepherd who could lead into eternal salvation. He leads me, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake, And truth be told, those paths go far back, way back before 1777. In fact, the Bible has another name for the paths of righteousness. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths. Where the good way is and walk in it. And what? And you will find rest for your souls. If you'll walk the ancient paths, the righteous paths. Jesus quoted that very thing. From Jeremiah 6.16, Jesus said, Matthew 11.29, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He restores my soul. How? He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. That is, he staked his reputation on shepherding us. That's remarkable. He guides me so that people can see who he is. While I'm being sanctified, he's being glorified. That's a wonderful thing. And it makes me pause and wonder, do people see the character of the shepherd as we are led by him? Do they see as we follow the shepherding character of God? Do they recognize the grace and compassion and goodness of Jesus even in the sheep who follow after Him? Our following, brothers and sisters, reveals something of His nature. Tells the world something of God. Which makes us representatives. Though we are sheep, we are representatives of our shepherd who leads us. Especially when we walk in the shadow lands. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, and we are in that valley right now. As I said, Psalm 23, this is the psalm of today. The psalm of the church age. Psalm 22 is the psalm of the cross, the psalm of the good shepherd. Psalm 24, the psalm of his coming, the psalm of the chief shepherd. But Psalm 23 is today, and this is the world in which we live. Therefore, we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death. What's wonderful is we follow the shepherd through that valley, while death looms behind every tree and every rock and every edifice. Hey, there are green pastures here. There are restful waters here and our shepherd knows where they are. And he leads us to them. 
There are sweet and pleasant climbs in this valley. And our shepherd, my shepherd knows the way because I'm his sheep. He knows the way and I hear him and I follow. And specifically for the sheep of the shepherd, those who follow him, what's the greatest threat of the valley of the shadow of death? What's the greatest threat? Some might say death, and I would say not if you follow the shepherd. That's no threat at all. So what's the greatest threat? The shadows. Shadows. Shadows can freak us out. But when was the last time a shadow took you down? I mean, literally. Have you ever shadow boxed and gotten hit? (laughs) Oh, man. It doesn't happen. They're shadows. (laughs) They're not real. They're dark spots. There's nothing to them. And yet, well, the devil knows how to throw shade. (laughs) He whispers threats. He fires off darts, you know, doubt and anxiety and fear. Let me tell you, these things are not real. I know they feel real. I understand that. They feel absolutely real. But they're not. We were talking the other day, uh, yesterday actually, about how interesting it is that we live in a culture that has drugs for everything. Why? So that we don't feel. You know, when I was a kid growing up, if you were anxious about something, that was good. You have anxiety? Yes, I do. I'm about to play a basketball game and, and I'm scared to death. And that anxiety produces energy, which produces the ability to push through and succeed at something. Rather than taking a drug that chills me out, man. (laughs) Talking with the Adelots yesterday and telling them, I still, there are times I get anxiety walking up here. Walking up the steps to the stage. Do I have it all down? Do I know what I'm talking about? Am I going to get this right? Am I going to misrepresent God? Am I going to, you know, will they get the puns? I mean, I just get the anxiety. (laughs) And it's good because it it, it translates to trust. If I'm anxious, i got to trust. i got to follow my shepherd. If the sheep are anxious, they see the shadows. And they look and they see the shepherd. Go that way. Go that way. The shadows can do nothing other than what we allow them to do. I love the old Switchfoot song from several years back. The song is called, it was never a really big hit or anything, but it's one of my favorites they ever wrote. The song is called, The Shadow Proves the Sunshine. The shadow proves the sunshine. Hey, where there are shadows, there's light. So look to the light. God said, Genesis 1-3, let there be light. That was His first command. Let there be light. And there was light. 2 Corinthians 4 6 For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And in our homes, we don't flip on the dark switch. We don't have dark bulbs. We don't have recessed darking or dark fixtures. We have light. So turn on the light. Even in times of shadow. Hey, the shepherd's still here. He's still leading. We don't have to fear. He's here and He comforts with His rod and His staff. His rod and His staff. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, for the follower of Jesus, for the sheep following the shepherd, these are good things. These are good things. A rod and a staff. And the words are specific. It's interesting in the Bible. Rod is the same word we've actually been looking at. Psalm 2 verse 9 We read about this Revelation 19, along about verse 14 or 15. That you will rule them with a rod of iron. And we talked about how that's you will shepherd them with a staff of strength. And of course, that same word for rod is also translated scepter. In Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He is always the shepherd king. He's the ruler with the rod, with the staff. And the only ones who get shattered are the ones who headbutt the shepherd's staff. And we looked at that last week. But listen, the shepherd's staff was for guiding the sheep. 
The shepherd's staff. It's what you would imagine. It's the one that's kind of, you know, been uh, immortalized in our thinking. That, that crook, you know, the first candy cane, shepherd's staff, that kind of idea. And it had that crook typically on the top of it for guiding sheep. So the staff, you could use the bottom of the staff. Say, come on over here. You know, come on over here. Or for swinging around and pulling sheep out of difficult places. Stuck on the edge of a cliff. Use the staff. You could pull them back. Head stuck in a tree. Use the staff and get them out. That's the staff. Guiding. But the rod was different. The rod, the rod was a short stick. Usually with a knot, a hard knot on the end of it. And the rod had two purposes. It was defensive. Eastern shepherds were excellent expert rod chuckers. They could, they could hurl those things. The historical books tell us they could throw them at great distances and those things, bam, take out a lion. Boom, knock back a bear. Slap, knock out a wolf. And they would throw these things to protect. They could even nail a snake. Crushing them on the head. Bam, snake slithers off. Or just lays there dead. The rod, it was defensive, but the rod was also disciplinary. You Bible students are probably familiar with this. It was used for breaking the leg of a sheep. In today's day and age, where you have to be approved to even adopt a dog from a pound, I heard that yesterday. First time I'd ever heard that. Are you kidding me? You want to go get a dog from a pound, you have to be approved. What? We are so upside down in this culture. You got to make sure you're going to have the right home for the dog. I got puppy chow. What does he need? <laughs> we want you to have the finest ingredients. Well, I'm not going to feed him the finest ingredients. Tell him puppy chow. Well, he may live longer. What? A few days? It's a dog. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just, I don't get this. <laughs> And the animal control experts, they would freak out to even think about this. But the shepherd would take the rod with that hard, knotty end and break the leg of a sheep that continued to wander off. That's what they did. Why did they do that? Because, well, then they would break the leg so it couldn't go anywhere. (laughs) And they'd wrap it up so that the bone could mend. And they would carry the sheep everywhere they went. Four or five days of that. A few weeks. Next thing you know, leg is mended and strong once again, and the sheep does not wander far from the shepherd. Sheep is dumb. But they're not too dumb. If I get this far away, ow. So it was disciplinary. The Bible speaks of this. Psalm 119.67 Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. David says that. And that's what we do as wandering sheep. We, We go astray, we wander off, and we get afflicted. And sometimes, yes, sometimes the affliction is by the shepherd. He causes the affliction. How could he do that to me? Because he loves you. Because he sees you constantly straying down that path, down that direction, and so he'll break a leg on occasion, wrap it up, put you on his shoulders. You know, you've seen the, the portrait, the beautiful picture of the Good Shepherd. It's supposed to be Jesus standing there with a little lamb over his shoulders. What they don't tell you in the picture is the lamb's leg is broken, which is why he's on his shoulders. <laughs> Psalm 51, verse 8, when David is pouring out his heart in repentance... He says, note this, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. He breaks my bones so that they will mend, so that he will carry me for a season, so that I will remain near to the Lord. Do you rejoice when he breaks your bones? Now, there's a weird thought. What did you learn at church today? I learned how to praise the Lord when he breaks my bones. But it's a good thought. Do you thank Him for the hard times of your life that draw you near to Him? So that was kind of an aha as my soul was getting restored this morning, early morning. One of my ahas, I, I kid you not, I'm lying there and I thought, you know, when times get difficult or challenging, what am I doing? I'm here praying. 
He knows the dynamic. The best way through the shadows is stick close to the shepherd. Just stay near him. He loves us so much. And we really have two choices. We can either walk right beside him or we can take a ride on his shoulders. Your call. By the way, the bones of Jesus were never broken, were they? John 19.32 says the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. It was standard operating procedure. You want someone to die quicker, break their bones on a cross, so they just hang and they asphyxiate quickly and they're done. So when the Romans were done with the, the brutality of crucifixion, they would just break the bones. So they went over, came to the first criminal, broke his bones, second criminal, broke his bones. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead... They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. John says, he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. John says, I saw this. I'm telling you what I saw happen. They went to Jesus to break his bones and they didn't and they speared his side. Blood and water gushed out. He says, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. I want you to know this. And John follows this up. For these things came to pass to fulfill the Scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. Exodus chapter 12, verse 46. That was about the Passover lamb. They were not to break the bones of the Passover lamb. And the Passover lamb, Christ our Passover, did not have a single broken bone at the crucifixion. You know why? Because Jesus never strayed from the Father. So there was no need. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So many things right there, all in a row. You prepare a table before me. Isaiah 25, verse 6, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. See, Jesus promises that. He promises a future and a coming banquet. It's called the marriage feast of the Lamb. Remember studying that just recently? The banquet is out ahead of us. It's coming. It's marvelous. But my friends, the marriage feast of the Lamb is not this table. Verse 5 does not speak prophetically of the future marriage feast of the Lamb. It speaks right now of the table prepared before you, before me, in the presence of our enemies. In the valley of shadows, in this age, at this time, He prepares a feast for His people. He spreads this table today. In the presence of lions and bears and snakes, oh my, He prepares that table there. It's set before you. You are invited to come and dine with the Lord. It's one of the reasons we return to the table every Sunday, every Wednesday. The table of the Lord. It is a reminder. It's, it, it's not a, a full spread. It's a little bit of bread and some juice. But it's a reminder that He spreads a table before us. He provides for us. He gives all we need in the presence even of our enemies. And you can't drink fast enough for the glass to be empty. No, my cup overflows. Every time I look to drink, it's full again. He's back filling it up. He's keeping you refreshed. Right here in Death Valley, (laughs) the Lord, my shepherd, offers restful, restorative, reassuring peace. How? How does all this work? This, This table prepared? By the way, this verse is one of the reasons why years ago I decided to teach the way that I teach. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I decided I don't want to go Bible light for 10 or 15 minutes and be done with it. I'd rather give way too much. I'd rather people walk out on a Sunday morning going, Oh man, how am I going to take all that in? And I tell them, you're not supposed to. You take in what you can. But we're going to make sure that the table is spread. And there's a full plate of food before us. So that we can truly dine on the word of the Lord. But again, how does this work? He prepares this table. He presents it to us. My cup is overflowing. How does it work? You anoint my head with oil. He anoints my head with oil. 
And by the way, the anointing here, if your translation says you have anointed, past tense, no. It's in the perfect tense. The perfect tense. In other words, you have anointed, you anoint, and you will anoint. This is ongoing, continuous action. You anoint my head with oil. He's always anointing the head. Philip Keller, if you've ever read the book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. You remember this. If you haven't read it, pick it up. It's an older book, but it's, it's beautiful. Philip Keller was for a long time in his life a shepherd. And then he sat down to write this book, looking at the 23rd Psalm from a shepherd's perspective. And he wrote the following. Having to do with, you anoint my head with oil. Can you anoint a sheep? They do. Shepherds will anoint their sheep. Not so they'll be holy, because again, sheep are dumb. (laughs) Philip Keller said summertime is fly time. And sheep are especially troubled by the nasal or nose fly. The nose fly. These flies get all up in the nose of the sheep. Crawl around, make friends, you know, have little parties. Drive the sheep crazy. Sheep have been known to bang their heads against trees. Sheep is dumb. Bang their heads against trees because of this irritant inside their noses and they can't get it out. You know, they got hoofs. <laughs> so they got these nose flies crawling around and wriggling around and then, and then the nose flies, if left untended, will, yep, they'll lay eggs. And then the little eggs will hatch. And the little larva. I just want you to get a real clear picture. They just crawl around inside there. And can drive sheep mad. True story. So, so Keller says, at the very first sign of flies among the flock, the shepherd will apply an antidote to their heads. And so run down over the eyes. And literally, they would put it over the nose. It would get into the nose. It would block the nose. Now, for you and me, that sounds kind of gross. I don't want the nose blocked. I want to be able to breathe. But the sheep love it. They dumb. (laughs) They love it. What happens is, and he says, I prefer to use a homemade remedy instead of uh, made of linseed oil, sulfur, and tar, smeared on the sheep's nose and head as a protection against nose flies. What an incredible transformation this makes among the sheep. Once the oil is applied to the sheep's head, there's an immediate change in behavior. Gone is the aggravation. Gone is the frenzy. Gone the irritability and the restlessness. The sheep start to feed quietly and soon lie down peaceful and content. Little tarish noses lying there in the grass. And Keller says this oil, listen, has to be reapplied through the long summer Because, again, it's not you have anointed, it's you anoint. You continue to anoint. And this is my opinion about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is not a one-time experience that happened at some point in time where there was a power encounter with the Lord, and then you never have it again. That's not how my God works. My God pours out His Spirit again and again and again. He anoints my head with oil over and over and over. Jesus says, all you got to do is ask. How much more, if you being evil will give good things to your kids, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And I'm not just talking about when He indwells a person at the beginning of their faith life. And I'm not talking about that moment in time in the past where perhaps you've had a power encounter with the Lord and you know the Holy Spirit anointed you. You know you had, as Jesus called it, by the way, it wasn't Rick or or Les or anyone else, Jesus called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there was a point, perhaps for some, where they say, yeah, I remember back back in 69, man, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was great. And never since. That just doesn't sound like God who will continue to anoint your head with oil on an ongoing basis. And it's protection. And it's encouragement. It's reapplied as often as necessary. I mean, man, if you got a bug up your nose, (laughs) if you're irritable, you're restless, you're aggravated, you're cantankerous, you're frustrated, you're anxious, stressed out, 
Maybe you just need a reapplication of the oil upon your head. I love the picture in Psalm, was it 133? Like how wonderful it is, how blessed it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like oil upon the head, dripping down along over the beard of Aaron, just dripping. Les keeps threatening to get buckets of oil up here instead of the little thingies, you know. Just, come on up, we'll anoint you. That'll be good for half the summer. To be anointed with the Holy Spirit. A fresh anointing. If you're finding your life overwhelming, maybe you just need that. A fresh anointing. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing. Well, how can we be anxious for nothing? That's like, that's like the human condition, right? Yeah. But be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your, your minds in Christ Jesus. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Even if your name isn't Shirley. <laughs> goodness and loving kindness will follow me, will follow me, will follow me. First of all, note that goodness singularly describes the character of God. When you see the word goodness in the Bible, this is the word that describes God. Remember the rich young man came to Jesus and he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember what Jesus said? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Which wasn't to say that Jesus wasn't good, but in fact that Jesus is God. God is good. God is goodness. Goodness describes the nature of God. Surely, surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Loving kindness, mercy, some translations say. It's chesed. It's grace. But chesed in the Hebrew Scriptures, this word for mercy, for grace, for loving kindness, this is covenant grace. Chesed is covenant grace for the Jewish mind, for the Jewish person. God saying, I am going to pour out my grace upon you. I'm going to give you my grace, which is undeserved, unmerited favor. I'm giving it to you. It's my covenant I make with you. When you give your life to Jesus... You enter into the new covenant where God's grace alone will save you. And David rightly says, surely goodness, the very nature of God, and grace, the covenant promise of God, shall follow me all the days of my life. Note that they follow me. Meaning what? Meaning I don't have to look over my shoulder in fear or guilt or shame anymore. I don't have to let what's happened behind me victimize me. Because the shepherd's goodness and grace follow after, redeeming my past. So what what do I have to do? I look forward. Goodness and grace follows after the shepherd goes before. I just keep my eyes on the shepherd because that stuff can't harm me. It's over. It's done. It's redeemed by his goodness, his very nature, and his grace, his very promise. And I, he says, will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 2 Timothy 4.18 Paul said, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So can you say, The Lord is my shepherd? Now the 23rd Psalm is the most quoted of all biblical passages. It's the most read, it's the most repeated of any. But it's also the most quoted biblical passage at funerals. And and I find that interesting because as a pastor, and having done many funerals, there are those funerals I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not twisted, but there are those funerals I actually enjoy. Sounds strange. But I enjoy them because I know that the person has gone on home with the shepherd. And I, I can, we can talk about the person, we can talk about the grace of God, we can speak with hope and with joy, looking forward, knowing that this person will be seen again. I love those funerals. Those are not difficult for me at all. Funerals where the person did not call Jesus shepherd. Those are tough. 
Because those are the funerals where all I can do as a pastor is look back. All we can do is talk about good things and try and share some good memories and try and bring comfort as much as possible to the family. But those who have gone on to be with the Lord, this all applies. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside restful waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and grace will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, this psalm, it touches every season of life, but i got to be honest with you, it does not touch every person. The psalm only applies for those who can say, the Lord is my shepherd. It only applies to His sheep. Again, Psalm 22, 23, 24, together they tell one shepherd's story. They're what I would call the shepherd's trilogy. Psalm 22, the good shepherd who died. Psalm 23, the Lord, my shepherd, who leads me today. Psalm 24, the chief shepherd who is coming in his kingdom. But before you can follow the chief shepherd into his kingdom, or even follow the Lord, my shepherd, today, you must first receive him as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. 